What do you want to call me a murderer for? I've never killed anyone. I don't need to kill anyone. I think it. Believe me, if I started murdering people, there'd be none of you left. Hello and welcome, friends and enemies. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Evil. As always, I'm your host, Jay, and I bring you tales of lesser-known serial killers, occult slayings, and murders with a paranormal twist. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and tell all of your friends and enemies about Exploring Evil. I like to cover killers you might not hear about on other podcasts, so stories from other countries intrigue me. More importantly, I want to cover the specific cases you want to hear about. Tonight's story was suggested by a friend of the show, Debasmita, from India, and it covers a lot of disturbing topics, so there may be triggers. Imagine, you're a poor Indian street merchant a peddler, or you have a small shop. You don't have money, but you have family, and that's all that really matters in the end. Your culture deplores violence, and your children can be trusted to make deliveries for you. But then, along a 100-yard stretch of road that your daughter walks daily, children start to go missing. One every 15 to 20 days, the police dub the stretch of road the black hole. Then your daughter goes missing and you go to the police for help but they don't care because you're poor. This is the black hole and this is exploring evil. <laughs> the year was 2003 an abnormally high number of children were reported to be missing from Sector 31 of the Nithari village in Noida. Numerous missing reports were filed to the police by families of the victims, but no action was taken. One would hope missing children's cases would be taken very seriously, but apparently this was not the case. A 14-year-old girl named Rimpa Halder went missing on February 8, 2005. Her parents made several attempts to register a missing report of her daughter with police, but were unsuccessful. It makes me sick to think that Rimpa's parents weren't even allowed to make a report. Residents had narrowed down the disappearances to one lane, between two bridges, and even asked police to close the lane down. The 100-yard stretch became known as the Black Hole. They begged police to just look for the missing children, but to no avail. Children were disappearing at an alarming rate of one every 15 to 20 days on this one city block. At one point, the police put an extra patrol out, and the day after they stopped patrol, two more girls went missing. Maybe the killer had a contact at the police department. 
Police suspected that the kidnappings were for prostitution or to make the kids work as beggars. Police raided red light districts and rescued 21 girls, but none of them had gone missing from the black hole. March 2005. Some boys playing cricket found a hand in the plastic bag in the drain located behind D5. The matter was informed to the police who, declaring the hand as an animal carcass, asked the villagers to forget about the incident, as nothing was wrong. If it's true that it was a hand and authorities did nothing, why did they fail to act? December 2006, two Nathari village residents reported they knew the location of the remains of children who had gone missing in the previous two years. They said the remains would be found in the municipal water tank behind Bungalow D5, Sector 31, in Noida. The residents both had missing daughters, and they said they believed Surrender Coley, the house servant, was responsible for the disappearances. Surrender Coley was the manservant at the D5 house and worked for businessman Moninder Singh Pander. Kohli was born in the foothills of the Himalayas to the lowest class of Indians known as the Untouchables and sometimes worked as a butcher's assistant, skills that would serve him later. Pander was an international businessman known to have a fondness for alcohol and call girls. He was described as having a good reputation in the community and particularly with the local police. Villagers said their pleas for help had been repeatedly ignored by local police and were told by police not to make children you can't take care of. Can you imagine saying that to someone with a missing child? A local reporter contacted by the families was met with the same disregard for the missing children. She echoed the sentiment that the police just didn't care because the families were poor. But the gut-wrenching stench coming from the sewer behind Bungalow D5 was getting hard to ignore. They enlisted the help of Resident Welfare Association President S.C. Mishra. That morning, Mishra and the two residents searched the tank drain. One of the residents claimed to have found a decomposed hand, and they contacted the police. Word got out quickly, and distraught parents of missing children soon descended on Nithari with photographs of their children to see if they could be identified. Initially, some police officers, including Noida City, denied any criminal angle and asserted that the families had provided false information about the ages of the missing, that they weren't minors, but instead were adults who left home after fighting with their parents. The residents also alleged that the police were corrupt and were paid to conceal information. The angry residents demanded an independent investigation. By this time, bags of children's bones were found behind Pander's bungalow, and bones were seen floating in the sewer as well. One of the residents asserted that the police were claiming credit for discovering the bodies when it was the residents who dug them up. The police said that they had discovered skulls, bones, and other body parts, and said they were unable to give a figure for the number of victims. The victims' identities and number could only be established with DNA tests. The police then sealed the house and did not allow news media near the site. The central government tried to ascertain the facts behind the discovery of the skeletal remains and whether it had interstate ramifications. 
Law and order are state matters, but the Home Ministry asked for details about the magnitude of the crimes. On December 26th and 27th, Kohli's employer, Moninder Singh Pander, and Kohli were taken into custody by the police in connection with the disappearance of a girl named Payal. Payal was a young lady that had been known to frequent Pander's house, and he described her as a call girl whose own father pimped her out, which her father did not deny in the Netflix documentary The Karma Killings. Nonetheless, when her body was discovered, police said it was obvious she'd been raped. Police found belongings of the children inside Bungalow D5, proving that the children had been in the house at some point. It's believed that Coley used sweets to lure the children to their doom. In the meantime, Coley was busy confessing to multiple child murders. He allegedly told police Pander raped the children, passed them to Coley, who raped, beheaded them, and threw the heads behind his house. He can clearly be seen and heard on tape saying he choked a young girl until she passed out and then tried to have sex with her but couldn't, so he strangled her to death and tried to have sex with the corpse but couldn't, so he cut off some of her flesh and ate it. He would later recant, saying he'd been tortured into making the confessions. His demeanor during the confession was calm, cold, and matter-of-fact. Pander maintained his innocence, but people wondered how he could have no idea the children were being abducted, raped, murdered, dismembered, cannibalized, and were even victims of necrophilia inside his home with remains in the wall and sewer just feet from his house. Two policemen were suspended on December 31st for failing to take action despite being informed about a number of missing children as angry residents charged the house of the alleged mastermind. It was basically a riot outside of Pander's house with an angry mob destroying the outside of the house and taking their frustrations out on police and property. The police also detained Pander's maid, Maya, under suspicion that she lured women to the house. As more body parts were dug up near the premises, hundreds of local residents descended on the spot and alleged that there was an Oregon trade connection to the grisly killings of the young children. On January 1st, 2007, the remand magistrate granted the police custody of Pander and Coley until January 10th as the investigators said that further interrogation was required to complete the recovery of victims' remains. The court also granted permission for narcoanalysis, a truth serum type drug that would be administered before an interview. On the same evening, police conducted a raid on Pander's residence. His wife and son were interrogated about Pander's habits. Police sources disclosed that their relationship with him was strained, which was later found untrue. His behavior was described as normal. A senior police inspector revealed that there would be a series of searches conducted at Pander's Ludiana farmhouse and nearby places. The recent child kidnapping cases in Chandigarh, Pander's hometown, were reopened, but nothing was found. The next day, 15 of the 17 skeletons discovered in the village were identified. Ten of them were identified by Coley when he was confronted with the photographs of the missing children. Five others were identified by family members after being showed belongings recovered from the scene. The police said that there were at least 31 child victims. 
Security was increased as police expected more disturbance following two days of violence near Pander's residence. In a press statement, Chief Justice of India Y.K. Sarbaral asserted that the investigation was at a preliminary level and neither the courts nor the Central Bureau of Investigation, CBI, were involved at that point. The central government, however, constituted a high-level inquiry committee to go into the police lapses during the period of reporting and investigation. Chief Minister of Uttar Pradesh, Muliam Singh Yadav, said that he would await the report of the committee looking into the issue before making a decision whether there should be a CBI probe into the matter. The committee was headed by the Joint Secretary Manjula Krishnan under the terms of reference. The committee would take stock of the efforts made by the Noida police in locating the children who went missing. It would assess the level of cooperation and assistance provided by the local administration to locate the missing children and unite them with their families. It would go through the modus operandi and the motives of the accused. The panel met the parents of the victims to record their statements as the police determined that out of the 17 confirmed people killed, 10 were girls. Parents of eight of the sexually abused children were given compensation, which translated to about 16,000 American dollars. The DNA samples from the human remains were sent to a forensic laboratory in Hyperbad for the identification of the victims, while forensic samples were sent to the laboratory in Agra for determining the age, cause of death, and other details. It was determined that Payal was the only adult victim identified with all the other victims below the age of 10. Seven of the eight families that had been provided compensation returned their checks in protest. However, the checks were soon returned to them. They demanded houses and jobs in compensation as well. It may seem strange to want a house and a job as compensation for the police not looking for your missing child, but most of us don't really know what life is like on the street, and especially in India. After pressure and public outcry, the Uttar Pradesh government suspended two superintendents of police and dismissed six policemen for dereliction of duty. This action followed the report by the four-member committee. On January 17, 2007, the Inquiry Committee submitted its reports indicting the Uttar Pradesh police for gross negligence in handling the cases of missing persons. The committee said that the local administration was negligent and irresponsible while dealing with the missing person reports and did not rule out organ trade as a possible motive behind the killings. The investigating team seized erotic literature along with a laptop computer connected to a webcam, which immediately raised apprehensions of the presence of an international child pornography racket. The police also recovered photographs of Pander with nude children and foreigners during his four international visits. It was alleged that Pander supplied such pictures abroad and could link him to pedophilia, which was later discovered to be untrue. Later, during the investigation, it was found that the nude children in the pictures were Pander's grandchildren. There was no link found to child pornography. The laptop and webcam were later returned to the family, and the story was classified as a media-created rumor. We'll talk more about organ trade and cannibalism after this quick break. 
Hey Exploring Evil fans, I hope you're enjoying the show. If all the murder and gore has you feeling a bit down, you need to check out Critique. It's a new podcast about the paranormal, conspiracy theories, hidden knowledge, forbidden archaeology, extraterrestrials, and so much more. We've covered black-eyed kids, Zozo the Ouija board demon, the Tic Tac UFO event you've seen splashed on headlines, and so many more. So give it a test drive. back to exploring evil. Suspicions of organ trade and cannibalism. The police initially suspected an organ trade angle as to the motive behind the murders and raided the house of a doctor who lived in the neighborhood. A team of officials accompanied by a team of forensic experts went to pick up possible evidence for tests. The police revealed that the doctor had been accused of a similar crime in 1998, although the court had absolved him the same year. There was a second raid a few days later. The police were, however, cautious with news reports suggesting the accused committed cannibalism even before the polygraph tests had barely begun. They were aghast when they learned of media reports that one of the accused had confessed to the consumption of the victim's livers and other body parts. Such a possibility was not ruled out by the investigating team, considering the amount of brutality the duo had allegedly committed on the victims. Brain Mapping and Narcoanalysis So these are two things that we don't do in the United States and probably in a lot of the countries that you're listening in, but they do this in India. The accused duo was brought to the Directorate of Forensic Sciences in Granhinagar City in order to undergo brain mapping and polygraph tests on January 4, 2007, and narcoanalysis five days later. The police director told the media that both the accused had been cooperative during the tests and examinations. Surrender Coley had confessed to the crimes and had given his employer a clean chit, saying he was unaware of Coley's actions. Surrender Coley also revealed that all the deaths had taken place through strangulation. He would then rape them before taking the bodies to his personal washroom and dismembering them. According to one of the psychologists, Coley was administered the draw a person test. The test revealed a troubled mind. Most people administered this test draw a person of the same age and gender that they are. But Coley drew a young girl believed to be age five to seven his favorite victim, and the psychologist determined he was obsessed with that age and gender. Pander drew a picture of an 18 to 19 year old prostitute girl whom they believed him to be obsessed with. Pander was declared to be a womanizer and depressed but found no infatuation with underage children. In one interview I found, Coley had allegedly been given a cadaver to cut up which he did with skill, ease, and the precision of a medical professional. After two weeks of discourse and mounting pressure from the government of India, the Uttar Pradesh government decided to hand over the inquiry to the Central Bureau of Investigation. The notification came after the Department of Personnel and Training, which governs the CBI, sent a letter to the state government making a proper request for a probe by the agency in line with the prescribed norms. 
The two accused were taken to the CBI headquarters in Mumbai jail on the night of January 11, 2007, a day before the investigation was to be transferred to the CBI. The CBI continued its investigation and discovered three more skulls and human remains at the site of the serial killings. The investigators searched the drains outside the house and found three skulls, believed to be of the children, and several body parts, including parts of legs, bones, and torsos. Several objects were found that are believed to belong to the victims. The exhibits were sealed and forwarded to forensic labs. The Central Inquiry Committee that investigated the serial killings discovered serious lapses on the part of the police in handling the cases of missing persons. The reports were incriminating and proclaimed that the local police failed in their duty to respond to complaints over the past two years. The discovery of polythene bags containing parts of human torsos led the investigators to conclude that it was unlikely that the accused had links to an illegal organ trade. The CBI team discovered the bags in the drains outside the Pander residence. After interrogating Surrender Coley, they came to a prima facie conclusion, which just means based on first impression, that he is a psychopath used to carry out the killings. I find it interesting that they said, quote, used to carry out the killings, making it sound like he was a tool of Pander. Interrogators also said that it was possible that Pander had no role to play in the murders. The seized materials were sent to a laboratory for post-mortem individualization and DNA extraction. The materials received from the Uttar Pradesh police were also forwarded for forensic examination. Some liquor bottles, a double-barrel gun, cartridges, mobile phones, photographs, photo albums, and a blood-stained grill were handed over to the CBI for extensive examination. Once the victims were inside, they'd be very easy to control with a gun. Preliminary investigations revealed that the bones were not more than two years old. The CBI also revealed that only 15 skulls had been found thus far, and not 17, as claimed by the state police. A three-member CBI team questioned the kin of Surrender Coley in the Almora district. Coley claimed that he carried out the vile acts to cure impotence, but Coley's wife had just given birth and she said that he obviously wasn't impotent. She added that he was always very good to her and their daughter, and investigators were puzzled by this dichotomy. In November 2007, the Supreme Court notified the CBI concerning the case about the allegations of a relative of a victim that the investigating agency was trying to shield Pander. A victim of Coley named Jumpa was sexually assaulted, strangled to death, sexually assaulted again, and then chopped up in Coley's upstairs bathroom and cannibalized. At the time, Payal was thought to be the only adult victim in the string of serial murders. Her father put her in a rickshaw to Pander's house and said she frequently worked there. An officer in the documentary The Karma Killings used the word torture but I think it may be a little lost in translation when it comes to the interrogation of Coley. Coley said he offered Payal money for sex and she turned him down, so he strangled her and tried to have sex with the corpse. Young girls constituted the majority of victims. Post-mortem reports of the 15 skulls and bones recovered showed that 11 of the killed were girls. Geodi went missing after being sent out to return laundry to a family client. 
Her father said he asked Coley and Pander at least ten times if they had seen the little girl, and they always said no. The family began selling their belongings to fund psychic mediums and others who said they could help find her. They searched for a year and a half and couldn't find her. One of the psychics told them their daughter was dead and there was no use in continuing to search. She was right about her being dead, but the search was still on. It had to be heartbreaking to hear that. I can't imagine. Doctors at Noida Government Hospital revealed that there was a butcher-like precision in the chopping of the bodies. The post-mortem reports revealed that there had been a pattern in the killings. A gory revelation was made on February 6, 2007. It was concluded that there were 19 skulls in all, 16 complete and 3 damaged. The bodies had been cut into three pieces before being disposed of by the servant. The CBI sources said that Coley, after strangling the victims, severed their heads and threw them in the drain behind the house of his employer. Sources also revealed that he used to keep the viscera in polythene bags before disposing of it in a drain, so as to prevent detection. The skulls and other remains were forwarded to the Center for DNA Fingerprinting and Diagnostics, Hyperbad, for further profiling. The crime scene examination, recovery, and collection of human remains and exhibits and their detailed examination was carried out by experts under the chairmanship and guidance of Professor T.D. Dogra. Pander had trouble finding an attorney that would represent him. On February 12, 2009, both the accused, Moninder Singh Pander and his domestic servant, Surrender Coley, were found guilty of the February 8, 2005 murder of 14-year-old Rimpa Halder by a special sessions court in Ghazabad. Pander's son said his father told him to not even appeal because it is useless. He has been branded. He had already been crucified in the media. But Pander's son and his attorney had a plan. Pander's attorney asked for the death penalty. What a tough decision. He thought they could get an appeal in one or two years if it was a death penalty case, but it could take 20 years if it was a life sentence. This verdict left the CBI red-faced as the CBI had earlier given a clean chit to Pander in all his charge sheets. Both the accused Pander and Surrender Coley were given the death sentence on February 13, 2009 as the case was classified as rarest of the rare. Rarest of the rare is an Indian law term referencing the worst of the worst, and the worst of the worst would be eligible for death. The streets filled with residents who felt justice had finally been served, and they made it known that they thought the CBI was corrupt at rallies on the streets. Although it wouldn't last, it was good to see the downtrodden get the justice they deserve. On May 4, 2010, Coley was found guilty in the October 25, 2006 murder of 7-year-old Arti Prasad and given a second death sentence eight days later. On September 27, 2010, Coley was found guilty of the April 10, 2006 murder of 9-year-old Rachna Lal and given a third death sentence the following day. On December 22, 2010, Coley was found guilty of the June 2006 murder of 12-year-old Dipali Sarkar and given a fourth death sentence. 
On February 15, 2011, the Supreme Court upheld the death sentence of Surrender Coley. On December 24, 2012, Coley was found guilty of the June 4, 2005 murder of five-year-old Choti Kavita and given a fifth death sentence. In February 2011, the Supreme Court of India upheld their death sentence. In July 2014, the President of India rejected the mercy petitions filed by Kohli. On September 3, 2014, the court issued a death warrant against Kohli in the Nithari case. On September 3, 2014, the court issued a death warrant against Kohli. On the evening of September 4, 2014, Surrender Kohli was transferred to Meerut Jail because of the absence of hanging facilities at Dasna Jail in Ghaziabad. He was to be hanged on September 12, 2014. The Supreme Court of India stayed the death sentence for one week after a petition was filed. On October 29, 2014, the Supreme Court bench headed by the Chief Justice of India, H.L. Datu, rejected the death sentence review petition stating that the court had not committed any error in judgment. On January 28, 2015, the High Court bench headed by Chief Justice D.Y. Chandrachud and Justice P.K.S. Bagel commuted the death sentence of Surrender Coley to life imprisonment on the ground of inordinate delay in deciding his mercy petition. The Allahabad High Court will hear a petition by Surrender Coley seeking commutation of the death sentence. In one of the first six cases, the High Court had reduced his punishment to life. In 2014, the Supreme Court had stopped his hanging at a midnight hearing, saying inordinate delay in execution was valid grounds for commutation. Coley is said to worship for four hours a day. He cries when he thinks of his daughter Simran and the son he never met. He also says he wants to kill again. He is regarded by most Indians as worse than an animal. On September 10, 2009, the Allahabad High Court acquitted Moninder Singh Pander and overturned his death sentence. He was not named a main suspect by investigators initially, but was summoned as co-accused during the trial. The same day Pander was acquitted, the Allahabad High Court upheld the death sentence for Surrender Kohli. On July 24, 2017, Surrender Kohli and Moninder Singh Pander were pronounced guilty by the CBI court in the murder and attempted rape of 20-year-old Pinky Sarkar. This is the eighth of the 16 murder cases against the two in which judgment has been delivered. Kohli was sentenced to death in case number 10 and acquitted in case number 13. In December 2017, Pander and Kohli were both found guilty of the murder of housemaid Anjali and sentenced to death by hanging. It's definitely worth noting that children began to go missing in the black hole well before Surrender Coley ever arrived to work for Pender. Geodi's father says many have taken payoffs to not seek justice. Families that had huts now have houses, and those who did not have bicycles now have cars. So there are a few things that point to Pander's guilt. One, there were a couple of disappearances in the black hole before Coley arrived to work for Pander. Two, the kidnapping stopped as soon as there was a police patrol added and started right back up when they stopped the patrol. Pander may have had a connection with the police keeping him updated. 
Three, the sheer number of bodies found at his house. I know he said he didn't stay there very often, but there's reports of upwards of 38 bodies. Four, the disappearance of Payal. She was an adult and probably a call girl, but she had to be summoned and Coley would have probably done that. But she wasn't Coley's type. She was Pander's type. So was the maid and Jolly. And although her father says she's been to his house, Pander wouldn't even admit to him that he knew her. Although under pressure from police, he admitted he knew Payal and she was a call girl. Conversely, there are a few things that point to Pander's innocence as well. He was out of town on almost every date there was a kidnapping, as far away as Australia, the United States, and Canada. Why would an educated man with money and connections pile up bodies in the sewer behind his house? Only a few of the victims matched his type. The CBI threw out his confession saying there was no evidentiary value. Pander claims that he signed blank sheets of paper, which the police wrote the confessions on later. And Pander was in another city when Payal went missing as well. He was at his father's funeral. Maybe Coley's wife said it best. If it has to be them, then it has to be. Whoever has done this, may that person be destroyed. Or Coley's daughter Simran. In a letter to him, she wrote, what were you thinking? You destroyed our lives. And what did you get from that? That's all I've got tonight, friends and enemies. I hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review, and shoot me an email with case suggestions at exploringevil at gmail.com. Thanks to Debasmita from India for suggesting tonight's case. I did my best with the pronunciations. Check out Cryptique and Movie Howl and have a great night. Hey Exploring Evil fans, I hope you enjoyed the show. If all the murder and gore has you feeling a bit down, you need to check out Cryptique. It's a new podcast about the paranormal, conspiracy theories, hidden knowledge, forbidden archaeology, extraterrestrials, and so much more. We've covered Black Eyed Kids, Zozo the Ouija Board Demon, the Tic Tac UFO event you've seen splashed on headlines, and so many more. So give it a test drive. 